0: trying to find someone who's done it i think there's some great organizations out there like the Tech club that's a group of like people Mm -hmm. that have done there's a group of hundreds that have people that have done it and some have done it really really well Mm -hmm. so i think trying to like tap into them and hearing from them how did they do it what did they learn? So that'd be kind of an immediate one. And I just think reach out to people on LinkedIn, but do your homework on it as well. Like what have they done? What have they built? Where have they got it to? Mm -hmm. And then most of the times, you know, if you reach out, people are generally happy to share. But I think it's like, it's just trying to find that network. And I think it is more vocal now on things like, you know, LinkedIn and there are groups like the CTEK group and they weren't there like pre-2019.
1: Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Bricks and Byte podcast. On today's show, we have Sarah Crowley, co-founder and director at Sintera, a communication tool built for on-site product teams. In this episode, Sarah unveils a great wealth of insights into early stages of her journey with startup, fundraising, and of course, communication for on-site teams. If you're enjoying our podcast, please check us out on Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast from. And if you enjoyed it, please leave us a review. This helps us to get more amazing guests to give you guys the best and most informative content on technology in the built world. And shout-out to our sponsor Beta. If you want to connect with some of the biggest players in the construction tech world, including tier 1 building contractors, some of the biggest construction tech companies, investors and advisors, check them out by visiting www.thebeta.com and this is wwwthe
2: You are listening to Bricks and Bites Podcast, where we take you on a journey in construction, technology, and business. All right, let's get this episode started. So, currently, you're the co founder of Simterra. Yeah. And before that, you worked as a mechanical engineer.
0: Yeah, so I specialized in, um, so I've worked in, so after university, I went into healthcare. Projects and I stayed there until I left, kind of going to Simterra. And I, my last projects were um, refurbing like three intensive care wards, and that was pre-COVID. And I've not heard anything since then, so I'm assuming <laughs> that the refurb was fine. Oh. It was, it was fine already to begin with. But it was, yeah, that was kind of my background is in healthcare reconfigurations and refurbishments.
2: And something obviously pissed you off so much you decided to start Simterra with your husband. Is that right?
0: I did. So on my last project the communication was just so chaotic, fragmented, and um it was just yeah, it was it was just a mess. And I was like thinking there's a better way of doing this. And the we had minimal tech given to us. And we lived off of Excel, Microsoft, Excel and like email, which is like the bread and butter of what but we kind of had to mm-hmm. kind of go to. It was going to the point where it's a bit of a shit show. And I have been interested in tech from a very young age. I was meant to do computer science, university didn't. And I was like, I think there's another way of doing this. And I didn't even know, like people talk about con tech. I didn't even know it was a thing. And I thought it was exciting as it got was like some of the legacy suppliers, if you were lucky on, on a big enough project to use some of that software. So, yeah, I was like, um, how do we build a digital tool? That reflects how work is delivered on site that can like feed back into all these other different systems to like just better communicate to the client what the hell is actually happening mm-hmm. and, you know, raise compensation events quicker.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's it like? What's, what's the secret to success with a husband and wife founding team?
0: Luck. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's just There's the marriage, no right? <laughs> There's no <laughs> secret sauce then.
0: <laughs> First of all, we didn't go into it like on a prayer. It was calculated. He's an engineer by background. His background in construction is, is very, very different to mine. He's from mega projects, but we face kind of the same problems. We could also, we both do like a lot of ultra running. So we'd mm. seen each other like awake for three days straight wow. with no sleep.
2: What's the biggest ultra?
0: We've done 100 miles and 10,000 meters of vertical gain, which is, I didn't know what that was a long time ago, wow. but it's the equivalent of going up and down Everest oh wow so we wow. did that so we've <laughs> we've seen each other how did you
1: do that so we're both, both of you did that or one of you
0: both of us both. did it so um and we run our own races that's what i love like kind of about it. it is like we're not like this duo like we will compete and we will fight tooth and nail. To, like oh, win over each cool. other and i uh-huh. love that dynamic yeah
1: oh wow
0: um, <laughs> why we do it probably a bit of craziness we yeah. don't do it as much anymore but like it's just There's nothing quite like it. And you really Mm. see a lot of sides to you that you might not be aware Mm -hmm.
2: of. Get Mm. into the depths of the dark side of your brain. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Since you mentioned the competitiveness between you and husband on the sports side. So do you think he's like way better in certain things in terms of business in Simtera or you are much better in certain other areas?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, as I mentioned, I kind of joked at the start around it being on luck. That is true, I think, to some extent. We did also get lucky. We have very, very different strengths and weaknesses, and we generally don't interfere in each other's remits. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, there are it does have its moments, but the overall, we respect each other, we know where each one is better, and we tend to be very accepting of that, and I think that really, really kind of works. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
2: mm-hmm. What about biggest... Talking of like not stepping on each other's uh, toes and whatnot, what's the biggest argument you've had? <laughs> oh. <laughs> not like a life but just, just a just a light-hearted one maybe in business.
0: I think for us, and I can you can talk to the probably the team about this as well as some <laughs> of the other people that are on the floor <laughs> office floor with us at the time. Wow. Marrying construction and engineering speak with VC's so venture Catalysts, was well. We took very different approaches to it,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and on one occasion. Whilst we were going through trying to secure funding, the we had one particular, quite heated debate Mm -hmm. about a finance model and what should and shouldn't go in it and how that should be presented and sent over to them. Mm. And everybody on that floor plate heard two very different opinions
2: Mm
1: -hmm. okay (laughs) who won
0: i think i did (laughs) on that side i definitely won there's no right answer in 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 those things but then the sense of like the way the information is portrayed but he's definitely i think um come round to like my side of the fence around it has to be in their terms and it took us too long to realize that but i've definitely won out and he's kind of accepted of that and Mm. But we've both had a very painful journey to get there. His Mm -hmm. has been, I would say, and he would openly probably admit his has been longer than mine.
2: Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Let's
1: move on to Simtera a little bit. And so what does it mean, Simtera? What's the etymology of the word? What does Simtera do as well?
0: So, the, the origin of the word is actually uh, from a copywriter, a friend who went to kind of university and, and knows John and I very kind of well. It was also just to be clear, like the, the business is, is K-more, which is an Irish-like term, which means big step. And no one could say it and no one could spell it. So, we knew that didn't work. <laughs> and then some terror worked across kind of mold, and most people could kind of say it and it kind of stuck. It came from John and Michael and it was, one is Sim is like a symphony. And if you think about any kind of project and whatever, you mm-hmm. know, whether yeah. it's within um, Civils or Resi or Rail or whatever it is, Tideway. a um, so, you know, it's a symphony of all these different kind of moving parts. Mm-hmm. And then Terra is from John Speaks fluent Italian. Um, and it comes from Earth. And if you think about the way that we build and the way that we make things. So there's like Sim Terra. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm, beautiful. Yeah. I Agree. Okay, so you obviously you grew the business whilst you were employed as a consultant.
0: So, I came so I was at Mace mm-hmm. and I came up with the idea, built something, and then it bizarrely started getting used on a project by London Overground and from there I didn't think anything kind of of it. And then as my projects were finishing, we were approached by another kind of client being like, "Hey, can we use this?" And I was like, Wow.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's something in it. Yeah, there's something yeah. in it.
0: So I told, I was very clear, like I had a really, really, really good team at MACE. And I told them what it was that I wanted to do. They were super supportive. I left on very good terms because I thought I might need to ask for my job back. And I left. I then probably messed about for like way too long, just trying to like, this very different coming from like construction and engineering. And then going to like the tech side of it. I, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And the it wasn't, I then serendipitously got into Google startups and that was a real turning point. And in that time, I was still working like part-time, like as a consultant. And I had a really good, really, really good flexible arrangement with Barking Riverside and worked with some of their great teams there. And just kind of like got it going. And it was like kind of, it was like this dual process. And then John left. I met some awesome people within Google and they really kind of helped. It went on from there.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to someone who is in a similar position? They have an idea, they still work for a company and they would like to, they see there's an opportunity, but they don't know, like what's the first move once they leave the company and they want to venture?
0: I think the first thing is read your contract because there are... (laughs) there are different contract clauses there are some that you may be part of in your employment contract and they own the ideas in your head so you need to be very careful if you're moonlighting like Mm. very very careful around that because the ip could belong to them Mm -hmm. so first of all i would say like just make sure where you land with that and then the second thing and what i wish for me is i wish i had known somebody who'd kind of gone through it like i genuinely had no idea and I think trying to find people who have done it and like now it's mm. becoming a lot more kind of popularized. I think it's it wasn't until like I would say probably the last kind of couple of years, three mm. years, um, but trying to find people that have done it and not listen. It's very different reading a medium article, listening to a growth consultant or, or someone oh. who's never done it. But has read about it versus mm. someone who has lived it.
1: So, who did you speak to, like venture capital? Oh or
0: God, no! I didn't even know what I didn't even know what venture capital right. was. Well, for a long time, like and then and then when I landed in Google and they were all talking about pre-seed oh. and seed startup, <laughs> I, I was just it. like, "What is this?" And then yeah. it was so bad. They put an investment awareness boot camp. bootcamp. <laughs> <and, laughs> <laughs> <Sweet awareness. laughs> so, the um, definitely didn't start there. What, we got we just got to extract it on the VC side. But you mean where would I start?
1: Yeah. So as in terms of advice, like what would, where someone should start if they have an idea, they would like to do something, but they leave the company and they now want to do the startup themselves. and But they don't know the people, they don't know uh, who they should speak with first. They kind of have an idea, but they don't, don't
2: know anything else. Yeah, there's, there's a shitload of people in employment that are always thinking like, oh, I've got great ideas. And it's like, how do I make the jump? So a bit of that.
0: I would, again, trying to find someone who's done it. I think there's some great organizations out there, like the Sea Tech Club. That's a group of like people mm-hmm. that have done There's like a group of hundreds of people that have done it, and some mm-hmm. have done it really, really well. Mm-hmm. So I think trying to like tap into them and hearing from them, how did they do it? What pain did they learn? So that would be kind of an immediate one. And I just think reach out to people on LinkedIn, but do your homework on it as well. Like, what have they done? What have they built? Where have they got it to? Mm-hmm. And then most of the times, you know, if you reach out, people are generally happy to share. Yeah. But I think it's like it's just trying to find that network. And I think it's more vocal now on things like, you know, LinkedIn. And there are groups like the Tech group and they weren't there like pre 2019.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. You obviously bootstrapped in the early days and then mm-hmm. you drunk the Kool-Aid, the Venture Cavaliers Kool-Aid, your turn, not mine. What was your thought process behind deciding to take it to a venture and back startup?
0: It was a very different land. It was a very different funding landscape than it is like now. Than mm-hmm. say like this year in 2023. So as I say, I started from a position of zero and I saw a bunch of other people in Google doing it. And I was like, and they, there was a lot of solutions looking for problems, in my opinion, and there was a lot of jazz hands. And I think I quite naively and overconfidently thought, well, if they can do it, pfft, mm-hmm. I can do it. Mm-hmm. Like, I've definitely got something. Can I know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. So I think maybe a little bit of arrogance as well. And I was like, well, I I think I can do this and I think I'm entitled to... I just forgot, maybe I'm entitled to it in some way or if they can do it, I can do it. Mm -hmm. Not entitled, but I just genuinely thought, like I can give this a go. It doesn't look that hard. Yeah,
1: it's a very good attitude, I think, right?
0: uh, I think in hindsight, it's so... And then what happened, my experience is not... It's like, it's not easy and it's definitely not Mm rose-tinted. Maybe it is for others, but when you start from a position of zero and in construction engineering, you're not... You know, you're know, you in delivery you're not networking with ultra high net worth individuals mm. you don't know venture capitalists i didn't even know i didn't know how to speak to them mm. i didn't understand their finance models i didn't understand the terms and that caused a lot of emotional turmoil mm-hmm. and some real soul searching mm-hmm.
1: yeah but because of this attitude at least you kind of had confidence to move on and and deal with it yeah so on the as a non-technical founder how is it for you? Like, how did you manage to put people together to build the tech and to get technology working?
0: So it's like any kind of construction project in terms of like finding good people and they're hard to find. And I think, you know, in, in it's finding people with that knowledge and surrounding yourself with them and owning up to when you don't know something. Can people generally, are, you know, happy to share and to educate. And I got lucky where our lead developer is. Extraordinary, and the development team that you know I have, I just I'd die for them. The and that like they're such an awesome group uh, of people, and it's a really dynamic team. And we like they're really happy to share all the time. I think you have to have the right attitude, and I think because even John with his Python scripts that do drive the development team nuts sometimes. Mm-hmm. The, we have an interest in it. Like our flat is mm. all totally controlled off different Raspberry Pis and our blinds <laughs> and our <laughs> lights and stuff like that. So we've, I think we've already, as I said, I've always had an inherent interest in it, mm. but we work with people that, are, that love it and they're, you know, they, it doesn't matter like, if I don't know, like yesterday they told me about Cedars and I was like, I don't know what that is. And, you know, we had a whole long conversation and I learned. So, but finding developers, that on that I would say, again, trial and error, speaking to people. There's an amazing organisation called Gaza Sky Geeks, somebody put me uh, in contact with them and th- I mean that's an unreal source of talent like mm. to tap up and the others were kind of through Discord and through Slack channels and through like word of mouth recommendations
2: mm-hmm. what did you say the organisation was? Gaza Sky Geeks I just spelled it yeah it's
0: like Gaza as in Gaza in Palestine so the yeah it's called Gaza Sky Geeks it's an organisation that and you can it's very easy to like recruit them from Gaza but the the level of talent that Gaza has is Mm. unreal. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've
2: never heard of that. That's the first time I've ever heard, like, that region. Yeah. What about bridging the gap between someone with a uh, construction head and someone with a software sitting behind a computer nine nine hours a day, whatever it is, coding? How do you bridge that communication gap? Because in your head, you're trying to say it one way. In their head, they understand it another way. Somewhere in the middle is this where the magic happens.
0: You know what? Our team love to like know and we explain it out and around like, so say even in the ops team, like everybody like has to understand what each other's kind of doing. And I think in fairness to the development team, and I can't comment because this is my first tech business, (laughs) so we might have just got unbelievably lucky, Mm -hmm. but they all have a real... Interest in why? Why would construction do it that way? They got this. Continually asking like why? Like, as a, one of the developers had a conversation with like one of the largest cement factories in Bolivia a few weeks ago, and he sold the app. He's not even sell. He's like mm-hmm. he's lead developer, and he sold it. That's how intimately he knows. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, it's a small, you know, it's still a small team, but they're really bought in and passionate. Mm-hmm. And I think we share that knowledge around why we're doing this. And I think they get it. They hear John and I and Garrett talk about it so much. That they understand the pain points and the journey and they're so good when like, users come to our office and that's one key thing, we built the product with our users like we didn't do it in isolation of them and we did it with a whole different range of different site teams and we still do to this day and the developers are involved in those conversations and then even when like users are like oh i i don't really like this or this doesn't work for me or this bit's a bit shit and they hear that and they're like okay and then we iterate kind of off of that so they're really heavily involved into like with customers and with product development so it's a really like intra connected and intertwined kind of setup.
1: Mm-hmm. Sarah, so on to why. Why does Sintera exist? Is there any inherent issue within construction communication?
0: Well, to anyone listening who's working construction, you can argue yes. Like, <laughs> Does anybody, you know, kind of know there's a problem you know, with communication in real time, let alone in handover? And then hence why you're always reserving, you know, the same plot of land or the same building, regardless of whether it's asbestos or sort of a ground condition survey. So, you know, from like a wide perspective there's a 280 billion dollar rework issue due to miscommunications this is a problem at scale that's kind of at a global level and it doesn't matter if you're i was speaking to this project manager in malaysia recently and you know he was like we're talking around some of the the problems around kind of adoption and i don't think it matters whether you're in malaysia whether you're in the uk or in north america you're sharing the same problems mm-hmm. and that is You have a very chaotic and fragmented supply chain that can't communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. But we keep selling software to individual businesses, but it's not how work is reflected. So that's like what we're trying to do is make it as easy as possible for them to communicate with each other, report like engineering insurance. what, What we're trying to do is kind of ultimately replace WhatsApp. like on site where you've got 20 different WhatsApp groups and it's, you know, people move on all of the time. I mean, from a GDPR perspective, it shouldn't even be on there to mm-hmm. begin with. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I've even heard like people where they employ people in the team just to download the yeah, WhatsApp. Well, this, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, they and put it as like contractual documents. Or yeah,
0: that. you know, there's a real issue kind of around that. So we're like, well, how do we start there? Create something that allows all these different parties to communicate, they get their own copy because we need to sort out double handling of information. And then play well with others, like interconnect it back in with the systems they already use. So you're not like scrambling around trying to find information. Mm -hmm,
2: mm -hmm. Okay, I wanted to go back to like the fundraising part. It was a big subject we discussed when we caught up previously, Sarah. And uh, what would you say to someone who is just about to embark on a fundraising journey?
0: Work out, be very clear why you want to do it. It is my experience, as I've mentioned, is not, it wasn't easy for me. And I think there's a lot of stuff where I see people are like, "Oh, we put out like we we ran out and we closed x amount of millions in five working days. Easy. Oh, and we didn't even have a PowerPoint. We didn't even have like a pitch deck. And I'm like, oh, I've got like, I mean, I don't even know how many gigabytes of folders I've got of like different pitch decks. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's not as easy well, it depends on your starting position, but for me, it definitely was not as easy as I kind of hoped and had read and seen others kind of do it. So I think i be very clear about why do you want to do it? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, if it is around, you have to build product fast. There's always an argument for that. You need to build fast. That's obviously like one of the main sources to kind of tap into. It's not like a, it's not at some magic gravy train Mm -hmm. that I think, yeah. So I just had to be like really clear. And And I don't think there is anything wrong with doing it or bootstrapping it or doing it the consultancy way. Sometimes I think that's, possibly the better way to do it in this Mm. market. And interestingly, on Monday evening, I heard a VC speak about this for the first time ever when he was like, um, usually VCs hate consultancy because they want it annual recurring revenue. Mm -hmm. And you only get that through kind of SaaS, selling subscriptions that renew annually or monthly. And consultancy doesn't do that, you know. But on Monday, it was the first VC I've ever heard speak about, well, actually, consultancy in this market is really important. and actually, make money. Yeah. And, um, you know, it is a kind of a good kind of route. And also, there's a real pragmatism from this VC around, like, you do have to pay bills. You've got payroll to make. And ultimately, you know, that's still a, like a large route kind of of cash. And I think it depends on where you're going to play. But I think in within construction, starting, getting the first investor on is the hardest part. And I think if you don't know, I recommend starting with one that specializes in the built environment. And if you can get on to like one that specialises with an accelerator, mm. happy days because they'll like. For me and for John and I, that was a real turning point. So Pi Labs have a growth program;
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they put us on that, and we came out almost like different people. Yeah. And
1: how long does it take?
0: That one was three months, mm-hmm. and there are so many of these out there, and I think you had to be again be very careful. Like I've been, I feel like I've been duped by. Two that come immediately to mind, mm-hmm. and you know, from again, these are from people from typically from consultants that have never raised money mm. or been a founder or in the founding team, and or a VC or an investor. So you're like, again, you're yeah. like learning from it, and, and they make huge money out of it. Yeah. And I think unless it's coming from like a, a very well-respected kind of VC that's really done it and seen multiple startups kind of go through go through the journey with founders that are kind of like-minded and, and and people and operators that have really done this before, I would say avoid. That would be kind of a big lesson. Don't waste your time with accelerators. If the people look like that, look mm-hmm. for the ones that have done it with venture capitalists that have given you that knowledge because it, it it's from source. You hear much more around the like, no, you're doing this wrong. This is what you need to do. And sometimes that's the best advice. And a lot of the time, early doors, especially in early conversations with investors, they won't tell you what you're doing wrong. So like the amount of doors that shut in your face, it can be like screaming into the wind. It was to me for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, pilage really helped with that in the sense of like, you're saying the wrong thing. This is kind of what you need to say. And I was mm-hmm. like... Oh, okay. Mm. Didn't know that. That useful. Yeah. yeah.
1: All right. So someone gets money from the investor and apart from money, what do they get? Like what, what someone should be looking at in investors? Uh, like weekly advice, monthly advice, like uh, structured consulting? <laughs> I don't know. What's the good value to get from investor?
0: It totally varies, and I think it's also in what you want it to be. And I think being clear of that early, like uh, like being clear about that when you start kind of speaking to them and you go through that funding process. For us, it looks like many different things across all of them, where PyLabs, I would say, I speak to Hugo probably weekly and kind of WhatsApp message. it's very informal. Nemeshek, who are big, they're one of Autodesk's kind of main competitors. They're a really awesome team and we speak to them sometimes a lot more kind of like practical stuff around like, oh, we need this help with this integration. Can you help? Mm. And then Sam Pata, who are our lead investor, they're really good kind of like for general advice and around different aspects and kind of like go to markets in other, in other areas. Um, so it really varies. And, you know, it depends as well, like what you want and how hands on or hands off you want to be. So for us, like we never, we didn't want people in every day, but what we definitely wanted is like, when you need to ring somebody to be like hey I need some advice or or just to bounce something off Mm. you can Mm
2: -hmm. cool okay a little bit of like uh, skipping some topics or a bit bit off topic what pisses you off most about construction
0: (laughs) (laughs) this could be career defining
2: (laughs) (laughs) don't lose it on the bricks and bites show
0: (laughs) tendering I think would be one key thing that comes to mind Mm. that I just I don't know how much of it is just you know it's like things where it's like oh it's how much of it is quality v cost I think that's changing and sometimes I'm just like do you even care about the quality answers is and I think that's kind of is, is a key problem around like how much of it is just is it just like um, and you have to do it right so some of these are like empty yeah. kind of platitudes sometimes or is it just virtue signaling and sometimes people's ears may be kind of closed off to stuff and I mean, I could argue all day around, you know, stuff. When it's like, is it above the uh, line item or is it below the line item? And then you're like, we need to make sure we're comparing apples and apples. But I'm like, we're not. We're comparing apples and pears here. <laughs> so I think, I think tendering, and I think, you know, the whole thing. I, I think within tendering, in particular, like reviewing tenders and around the people that like are on the panels of these things. A lot of the time, like the people writing and and you know, the procurement team are not the ones that use the software. And I think this is like been a real problem in the industry and why there is still a low level of adoption Mm. is there's all this software that's being procured from like top down. I'm like, have you ever been to a construction site? Like you've actually managed to make my life harder, not easier. (laughs) And I think that's a real issue. And I think we need to start taking people that use the software and putting them on to like review panels kind of of it. I could talk about tendering and what's wrong with it all day.
1: (laughs) Mm. All right. So I got one about sales. So where do you currently, where is is? Being purchased, like what geographies, what type of construction businesses buy it, small, medium, large, or what type of projects they use it on.
0: It's a lot of questions there. That's so, right. so we focused. Martin,
1: question. <laughs> all relate to the same thing. Simterra.
0: Same <laughs> the um, so we so John is Irish and I actually grew up in the United Arab Emirates in Irishman and Sharjah and came over. Everyone's always like, "Oh, you're English," and it's like, "Well, wow, a mixed." bag, but anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we but let's yeah, say so like all of my like experience work-wise is within the UK and John's obviously worked extensively here. So we play in our domestic market the most when mm-hmm. we have got projects in Ireland, we've on one in Germany. That's super cool. And then student her feet B1 in the UAE. And um, but predominantly the United Kingdom because that's like our backgrounds, that's where we have experience and also that's where the offices, so we have kind of the most reach. And then in terms of like them where we play, it really varies. And so I didn't build the software for like large client, particularly we didn't initially go out with the large contractors and clients in mind. But we saw early adoption there. Mm. And that was was really interesting. They're great to have them on board. They have like often like the logo halo effect, which is quite nice to kind of unlock mm -hmm. kind of other doors. Mm -hmm. But the I would say over the past kind of 12 months, our bread and butter has been the mid market to the tier twos, tier threes. And I think there is so much opportunity there they are largely digitally unserved much more kind of agile i think that was really great to work with i'm really intrigued to see what happens over the next like 10 to 20 years and around what shifts and how many of those move up into the tier one kind of category and then within industries we work predominantly in infrastructure And I just think that's further ahead. We do have some residential projects, but I feel like that is still kind of even things like with the Building Safety Act, and which I know everyone's heard to death about, it's still got further to go in residential than it has in infrastructure. So Mm. I think...
2: Residential is like decades behind, not decades, but a long way behind the rest of the industry when it comes, especially small-scale resi, which we work on. So on here we have, we call it the fun question game, and we have 10 off-topic questions. And I will warn you, last time I'd done this here, live in the studio, it was an epic failure. (laughs) Brian was witness to that. (laughs) So Sarah, can you pick a number from one to ten? Six. Six? That was Ah. quick. That was very quick. I think you would have actually answered this very well. What embarrassing moment has stuck with you since childhood? (laughs) I say that because you, you tell a great story, not because you have lots of embarrassing moments. That's <laughs> why <laughs> 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 I was laughing. What I was like, oh, where, are we,
0: where are we going with this? <laughs> <laughs> what do you know? I was like, um, that, like um, yeah, some good, just good, some good stories from university. My mum, this is a photo of me and I, I thought it was amazing when I was younger. And it was me dressed as a unicorn and my mum had stapled a mop to my ass. And like that's oh. a photo that still exists. And, you know, in, in obviously in a construction tech landscape, you're all trying to be the next unicorn, right? So that has done the rounds of the team that ha- that has that photo lives on and serves a kind of great purpose, an immense value to my family, close friends, and then the team as well.
2: Okay, Sarah, so where can people find out more about you and Simterra?
0: So I'm on LinkedIn and the, just drop me an email. I'm always, yeah, contactable kind of on there. And if you're interested in kind of Simterra, it's obviously at sim- com. But yeah, if you're looking to digitize get rid of WhatsApp, give me a buzz.
1: Cool. Thank, Thank you, you very much.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Bricks and
2: Bytes podcast. If you are enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate it. And we'll catch you
1: in the next episode.